We have been journeying through the story, through the, the narrative of Scripture for the better part of, of nine months, and we're in the home stretch. We've got, we've got three weeks left. Today we are, are exploring the growth of the early church. And as you just saw in that, that quick, that quick clip that, that we have Paul who, who went all over, we're going to look a little bit about that this morning, went all over from community to community, uh, to different cultures, to different places with different challenges and, and bringing the good news of the gospel everywhere he went. And in each different community, there was, there was different challenges. There were different contextual challenges. There were different cultural challenges. There were different, different issues that they had to deal with. And depending on, on who you read, what scholar you read, uh, Paul played a part in planting 13 or, or 14 churches spanning from Jerusalem to Rome and, and everywhere in between. And along the way, he met others who were, who were on the same sort of journey. Other people who were, were kind of asking the same questions, trying to make sense of their faith in a changed world, in a convoluted world. And they, they journeyed together, they asked questions together, they searched for answers. Really, it's not all that much different than what we do in, in the church today. We're going to spend the next few moments of our morning together looking at one of their conversations, kind of unpacking one of their their conversations together. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for for bringing us to this place this morning on this, this beautiful, beautiful morning. And God, we thank you for the gift of your story, the gift of your scriptures, And God, as we open our Bibles right now, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I have a a good friend named Steve, and, and he describes himself, often refers to himself as a Christian under construction. He's an engineer, so he's he's left brain dominant, super analytical, super logical. Everything kind of has to to fit into its place. But when he talks about where his life is today, he can't quite make sense of it all. His dad was a professor of theology and an ordained Episcopalian priest. So he grew up with this kind of academic approach to his faith. He got married. He had a daughter. He had a great job. Then he got a promotion at work, moved into a bigger house. He's a car guy. He bought a nice car. By the world standards, everything was, was trending upward. But it all came crashing down when his division at work got shut down. And then after nearly 25 years of marriage, his wife came to him and said that she wanted a divorce. He spiraled to an unhealthy place, put on a lot of weight, drinking way too much, trying to find a way to numb the pain in any way that he could. A friend tried to help him pull out of depression and and got him to the gym and convinced him that there was another chance for him, that that he he could still live a, a healthy life. And to make a long story short, it was right when Steve was starting to pull the pieces of his life back together that something happened that he just couldn't explain. Hard for a left brain person. He was sitting in church one Sunday, and as he sat in church, he felt his entire face go numb. The next thing he knew, he woke up in the hospital and, and couldn't speak. He had what could 
best be described as a partial aneurysm at the base of his neck. His doctor told him it was time to get his affairs in order, that things didn't look good. But for whatever reason, Steve hung on. He couldn't talk. He couldn't move his face. And then one day after being in the hospital for a while, doctors went in to to look at the blockage in the base of his neck, and it wasn't there. Today, almost seven years later, Steve is remarried. Steve is an elder in his church, and he's running a successful business. Sometimes, when a body starts working against itself, it takes a miracle for that body to be healthy again. That's what what happened with my friend Steve. And and he considers himself a, a, a Christian under construction because he can't make sense of everything that happened. He can't make sense of where he is today in his life. And just like the rest of us here this morning, his journey isn't complete. God is still working in him. God is still working through him. In the passage that Pastor John read from 1 Corinthians, the apostle reminds us that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Lord, the same Spirit. And then he goes on, the apostle Paul goes on to to write that, 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 there's a metaphor for, for how we function as the body of Christ with, with, with a body where there's many parts that together when they, they work together, the whole body thrives. But what happens when a part of the body isn't healthy? What happens when a part of the body, when parts of the body disagree with one another? How does it return to a place of health? In Acts 15, Luke tells about a a significant moment in the early church where that was the case. Some of the early Christians thought that the Gentiles should take up all of the Jewish customs before converting, and and others, they they disagreed. We we typically refer to this conversation that we're about to read as the, the, the Jerusalem Council. In some ways, their disagreement mirrors some of the disagreements we have in the churches today. The issues might be different. But, but anyone who's been in any sort of church debate can relate to what took place. The two disagreeing parties travel from the, from where they were to the apostles in, in Jerusalem and they, they, they look for a solution together. Paul and Barnabas, they represent one side and, and they tell the council that about all that God is doing through the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Seal, I always struggle with this one. Cilicia. Cilicia. There, I got it. Cilicia. Pastors struggle with words in the Bible, too. And the other side of the group is the Pharisees, who had become followers of Jesus themselves. So these were were Pharisees who had converted to, to Christianity, and they wanted everyone in the church to follow the same custom. Everyone in the church to, to, to live the same way. Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. And after hearing both sides of the argument, James, Jesus' brother, he announces a decision. And it's one that's almost a middle ground. One where both parties would have walked away and said, well, that wasn't what we were looking for. It was kind of, kind of a, 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 neither side would have been completely content. And then starting in Acts chapter 15, verse 22, we read this. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas 
They choose Judas called Barsabbas and Silius, men, Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent them the following letter. So it was, it was common for, for a council or for anybody when they write a letter to send colleagues or send people who were there for the conversation to represent what happened in that conversation to those who the letter is addressed to. So, so Paul, Paul did it all the time when he sent his letters to churches. He included a, a friend of his or, or someone he was mentoring, a disciple, to take the letter. Uh, it was kind of like an added layer of security. And Barsabbas and Silas, they could assure the Christian community in Antioch that, that what Paul and Barnabas were saying was, was true. This is what actually happened at the conversation in Jerusalem. They're not, they're not making it up. This is true. It, it actually happened. And then we get to the letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I, I don't think there's any denying that the world in which we live is, is polarized today. There are, are fewer and fewer circles that we walk in where we can be completely upfront and honest with things like faith, with things like politics, where we don't have to, to kind of walk on eggshells. There, there are fewer places in our world today that we, we, we can be completely upfront with who we are, with what we believe, all those sorts of things. And, and, and then there's, there's times I, I catch myself thinking, wow, how did we get here? How, how did we get here? But then I think back to my childhood. And I remember sitting at the kids' table. Any of you sit at the kids' table when you were kids? I remember sitting at the kids' table at my aunt and uncle's house during family dinners with my, my sister and my cousins while we listened to the parents argue in the other room. Depending on the night and depending on the year, there were times I thought Democrat was a bad word. And there were times I thought Republican was a bad word, depending on the year, depending, I don't know, I was six, I don't know what was going on. I had no idea of what the other word meant, I just knew that I shouldn't get caught saying it. Before long, the conversations would move from politics to the other topic you don't talk about around family dinners. What topic would that be? Religion. Faith. How did we get to this point? How, how did we get to this point where with our families, we don't talk about faith, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about things that are important in, in, the, in this world? Now, I don't mean to paint a, a negative light on those family dinners. They are some of my best memories from, from childhood. But they remind me that our world has, has been polarized for a long time. 
That, that this isn't anything new. It just seems that somehow today, the lack of civility has just been, been amplified for, for whatever reason. And it doesn't seem like there's much interest to understand other perspectives. Over the last few years, I've been more and more convinced as a pastor that, that one of the best ways that today's church can witness to, to the world around us is by learning to disagree with one another in a more healthy manner. One of the best ways that today's church can be a witness to who Jesus was and is is by learning to disagree with one another in a more healthy and loving way. And with the Jerusalem Council, we're given an example of how that might look. Two groups believed that they had discerned God's will and, and they came to conflicting conclusions. Again, disagreement and polarization is nothing new. It didn't even start with the U.S. It started a long time before then. But the way that they resolve this conflict is what stands out. It prepares the early church to thrive and to grow in the midst of conflicting cultures, in the midst of conflicting beliefs on, on, and worldviews and, and thoughts about how we should exist in the world. First, we see that at the Jerusalem Council, they, they embrace their differences. They didn't sweep their, dis, their differences under the rug. They didn't pretend that they, they didn't exist. And sometimes... We fall into this trap of believing that we can only be in relationship with those with whom we have the same beliefs. The, the, with those whom we only think we, we, we line up with on, on everything. People who, who follow the same faith, people who, who hold the same politics, whatever it might be. It's the whole reason that we grow up thinking, I can't talk about these issues at the dinner table. So we either stay in these, these close, tight-knit circles, or we, we just keep quiet and we, we disengage. But true fellowship, living in community as the church, calls us to embrace our differences. It calls us to work through them, being slow to speak and quick to listen, while focusing on the mind of Christ. We see that. We see evidence of that in the Jerusalem Council. In the first half of Acts 15, we, we didn't read this part, but Luke tells, Luke writes that the, the two sides boldly share what they have on their mind. They, they, don't, they don't hide it from one another. They share what is on their mind. The, the closest transla- translation of, of the Greek word that Luke uses is that they had a heated debate. They had a heated debate. The reality is... When you're excited about something, you're going to get fired up. But it is possible to have a passionate debate, putting everything out on the table, sharing your views, while still respecting those views of those who sit across the table from you and respecting the person who sits across from you. Everything that happens with the Jerusalem Council is a, is a great example for the, the church today. As the two sides debate, we, we see this, this healthy back and forth. The church leaders, they, they listen and they discern. Then they come together to talk about what they're discerning, thinking about the impact the decision will make on the entire faith community. And then they announce a decision. The church leaders were empowered to lead but they didn't lead with a heavy hand. 
They invite everyone to have a voice, to share their thoughts first. And then when the decision is made, it's one that appears to, to take any sort of feeling that there wasn't anyone cheering at the end of the Jerusalem council. There wasn't anyone saying, oh, we got this right. This was a spirit-driven conversation. There weren't winners. There weren't, there weren't losers. It wasn't about being right or wrong. It was about figuring out the best way forward for the church to exist in multiple cultures. Peter and James, they give a response that, that appeals to the Hebrew Scripture. They, they refer to Amos and, and Deuteronomy and also one that, that speaks to, to what Paul and Barnabas had experienced. So they refer back to Scripture and they say, look, this is what the Hebrew Scriptures say. And, look, this is what's happening with the Gentile church for, for Paul and Barnabas. Both are equally important. They lean on the authority of Scripture and on what's happening in the world around them. And they say both are important. And as I mentioned earlier, they're, they're guided by the Holy Spirit. There's this moment. Where, where Peter stands up before the council. We, we, we didn't read this part. And, and, and he refers to, to his role in the church. And he says, in the early days, in the early days, the church had only been around for about 10 years. In the early days, like, like 10 years ago, in, in the early days, when we were just launching the church, we made a choice that I should be the one to reach the Gentiles. And God testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the reflection on the experience. Peter's saying, look, I've seen the Holy Spirit move in the Gentiles. We can't ignore that. Just as the Holy Spirit has been given to us. I mentioned last week that in the fall we're going to be journeying through the book of Acts a little bit together. And one of the reasons I'm excited to dive in to the book of Acts is there's so much we can learn about how the church functioned then and how it, it looks for us today. Everywhere you turn in the book of Acts, the Spirit is on the move. Everywhere you turn in Acts, the Holy Spirit is what is, is guiding them. And the apostles are constantly looking for ways to get involved in what the Spirit is doing. That's the reason for the Jerusalem Council. How is the Spirit moving? Well, we need to get together and talk about it. We, we need to figure out where, where God is moving. It wasn't about hurt feelings. It wasn't about church politics. It was about aligning with what God was doing in the world. One of my um, deciding factors in becoming a Presbyterian pastor came in the midst of a massive debate in my home church. And some of you have heard me share this story before, but, but Gary Demarest, whom, whom some of you know, was moderating a, a big meeting in my, my home presbytery where big, important decisions were being made. And he opened the meeting by saying this, we are here for two reasons. First, it's because we have two sides that believe they have discerned the movement of the Holy Spirit in different ways. And secondly, because we're Presbyterian, and this is how we handle disagreements when we're pursuing where the Spirit is leading. Not about church politics, not about being right or wrong, but about discerning where the Spirit is leading. I have to imagine that, that the way that Gary moderated and led that gathering was similar to how Peter and James led the Jerusalem council. 
As the assembly concludes, a decision is made that, that, that was spirit-driven. Gentile converts wouldn't have to be, be circumcised, but they would be asked to abstain from other things that aligned with the Jewish way of life. Converts were welcome, but there were still expectations. The way forward didn't necessarily please everyone. For some, the council's decision was too conservative. For others, the council's decision was too progressive. And as the letter we read earlier is sent, describing the council's decision, it it goes out to these different cultures, these fledgling churches, all places that had different cultures, all places that, that had different worldviews, all places that wrestled with different issues, but were driven by the same Spirit. Some believe that, that Paul wrote his, his letter to the church in Galatia right around the time that the Jerusalem Council was taking place, either on the way to Jerusalem Council or while it was on recess or, or whatever it might be. And one of his, his well-known lines in, in Galatians summarizes the reality that the church is a better place when it learns to stand united while seeing its differences as a strength. He writes, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So I want to invite us this week to follow the lead of the Jerusalem Council. Embrace someone who is different. Embrace someone, listen to someone who is different from you. Let them share their thoughts. And look for places where the Spirit is moving. And get involved. Say, I want to be in board with where the Spirit is moving. Let's pray. Gracious God, it takes people with all kinds of gifts and talents to make up your body. All the different crayons that we, ha- we held up earlier to love our world. And it also takes people with, with different world views. May we be a church that sees diversity as a strength. Remind us that while we see diversity as a strength, that we are also one in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.